The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC. An equal housing lender. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. Greg Sankey said Monday that he had a healthy conversation with John Cohen and Ross Bjork about the toxic rivalry between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. What that means, no one knows, but they had a healthy conversation. So kumbaya, it's all solved. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. In the guest co-host chair is Bennett Hip at Bennett Hip. And today's guest, Shay Hodge, former Ole Miss wide receiver. But first and foremost, Bennett Hip. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? What did you think of Greg Sankey's words about a healthy conversation with Ross Bjork and John Cohen? Uh, at first, I just find the whole thing just kind of ridiculous. But I am interested to see how much um, introspection came from Greg Sankey during this conversation because I think it would be very easy on his part to just spend the whole time wagging his finger and saying, this is dumb, you guys have to figure this out. But, I mean, he played a part in this and the rivalry kind of getting to where it did by the way that he was – hands off probably the best way to say it during the investigation and you have one sec school turning on another and basically volunteering information to say hey yo let's go ahead and get this on the record but my guess is it just was a big waste of time for everyone involved it was a big waste of time i'm not gonna hold my breath here if he really wanted to do something he'd have looked in the mirror and considered what he didn't do throughout that process to squash all this 
He's the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. He's supposed to look out for the best interest of every single one of his member institutions, and yet he did nothing. And yet you had Ross Bjork and Greg, everyone publicly saying the right things, that Greg Sankey's doing so much for Ole Miss in this process. But quite frankly, if he was, he had a funny way of showing it. (laughs) And he was so up the butt of the NCAA. You're supposed to be on the lookout for the SEC. I promise you if Mike Slive was still around, if he was still the commissioner at the time, he would have most certainly been more actively and publicly involved in protecting his member institutions, especially protecting them from killing each other. It, it should have turned into a murder-suicide. Thank God that it didn't. I, I wouldn't wish that on Mississippi State either. And that might sound crazy, but no one should wish this on any other member institution or any institution in college football because if you've been through it, you can see what the process would be and that the NCAA would then be able to do whatever it wanted to do with any school out there, period. Right. It's it's just that in an ideal world from his his vantage point and from really everyone's vantage point, this was not a can of worms that you wanted no. to have opened. And instead, it was opened and released to the full effect. And you know, whether it comes into play down the road with school X or school Y years from now, well, we don't know yet, but the fact that it's even out there and was able to happen in the first place for all involved is, is problematic. So I I think the whole, Oh yeah, we had a healthy conversation and it's all, it's all good. Um, is a bit Pollyanna for me, but we'll, we'll see. Obviously. I think it's a bunch of horse hockey. I don't think it means anything. Oh no. The damage has been done. Well, I, I think that I think it also loses some teeth when you come out. The, the 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 part of this that they were so mad about was the the egg bowl fight, and you were so strong against it, and that was November, and you waited until what May to have your meeting about it. So it was obviously on the front burner, very important for you to have your meeting because it took you six months to get it on the schedule. So yeah, I, I think that from that angle too, if you were that angry about it, if you were that upset, if you were trying to make it a priority, you have that meeting the next week or somewhere before May or whenever it happened. So I, I think that part has to at least be mentioned as well. The bottom line, Greg Sankey doesn't care. He's supposed to publicly look like he cares, but he doesn't really care because if he really cared, he would have interjected himself more into this. And quite frankly, it's be, it's really hard to be impressed with Greg Sankey so far as in his tenure as the SEC commissioner. I, I can't point to anything and say, oh, that's Greg Sankey's doing. He did that. Some big accomplishment that moved the SEC forward. It's less to do about the old Mississippi State stuff as the overall picture, but it plays into it as well when he doesn't have anything big ticket item that he can hang his hat on. So when you look at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, how will the relationship be moving forward? The exact same. You can't, it's just like Donald Glover in community walking in with the pizzas to the room on fire. It's the (laughs) exact same thing. The damage is done. Whatever you say, the healthy conversations that you have with the athletics director, now Keith Carter in place of Ross Bjork has moved on to Texas A&M. It doesn't matter. There's no way to rectify this. There are going to be more fights. The online internet communities are going to be at each other's throats constantly. The hatred that was already deep-rooted has boiled to the surface, and it's not going away. This environment, this toxicity, is here to stay. This is the new environment. I don't take part in it anymore. I don't engage 
in Twitter anymore with Mississippi State trolls. I'm I'm done with that. That was one of my New Year's resolutions. One of the only New Year's resolutions I've stuck to. I think a lot of people are trying to give Sankey credit for SEC basketball getting where it is, but a lot of that was Mike Slive. Mike Slive put in a lot of that work in the and beginning. And a lot of that was teams and programs getting serious about basketball and going well, and, making hires, quality well, hires and, and, to make their programs better. And, and that message originally came from Mike Slive because he right. looked at the landscape and said, "You you guys have to you have, you have to invest in basketball." And then he hired people. To not only say, hey, you invest, but we're going to help you schedule and we're going to help you do this and that. And we're not going to just completely ignore basketball as a conference outside of three or four schools. And, and so obviously the league is flourishing now. And, and Sankey certainly gets credit for um, schools continuing and continuing to upgrade their programs and keeping that in check. But the, the changes for that really or Mike Slide gets the credit for that. I mean, he really was the one who saw the future of basketball as a television product for the league and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I think it's a lot of just whatever, blow hard. I do too, but you're right about basketball. Mike Slive really was the one that pushed and said, guys, we want to get better and serious about basketball. And if you want to do that, this is how you can as far as scheduling harder and hiring the right coaches really attacking it like you do football. Greg Sankey hasn't done all that much with it. He's the I mean, face he's, of the SEC, really. That's that's what he he's is very now. much in a position where you're just trying not to wreck the Ferrari. And there's something to exactly. be said for not wrecking the Ferrari. Um, but I think some of his, his actions have been counter to that. But on the other hand, um, the league is as good as it's been from a basketball standpoint and maybe ever. Um, Alabama is Georgia from a football standpoint, carrying the league. Um, so, I mean, SEC sports are doing really well right now, and he certainly gets credit for continuing to navigate down the road. But I don't know that he's some sort of power, big time uh, guy that really came in and made some changes and really took things to the next level. He's just doing what the next guy or doing what the guy before him did and, and just making sure that stays the same. Yeah, Mike Slive pushed autopilot. And the co-pilot just sat there and make, made sure that there weren't weren't any malfunctions with the system. That's it. That's fine. But like I said, there's value in doing that. But I'm not going to to go over the top and say that he's doing some sort of transformative job that no one else could do. Um, it's certainly a tough gig, and it's going to be tough in the in the coming years with television deals coming up and uh, potential expansion popping up again. So uh, it, the next few years, from his standpoint, are really when he's going to earn his money one way or the other 10 being the highest one being the lowest what is your interest level in sec media days uh, very low I, i'm just i asked for a numerical assignment sir. <laughs> uh like a two or a three like it, it's it's not a one because i'll pay a little bit of attention but it's not like i'm going to uh be pulling up the stream at like 11 a.m on wednesday to watch whoever is on the podium um, I'll, I'll pay attention enough to just see what got said and kind of read a recap at the end of the day or the end of the week. But I really just have no interest at all uh, beyond it being the middle of J July and there's no really sports news going on. So it, it's just part of the – gets an increased attention because there's nothing really else happening on the calendar. Minus two, and the only reason why it's two is because Ole Miss is present on Tuesday and I have to do some work. Other than that, I won't pay attention to a minute of it. Not any minute of it. It's completely lost its luster. It means nothing. A lot of my friends are already there. Good for them. 
David Brandt, love you, buddy. Glad you're there. Glad you had to sit through Greg Sankey. Brian Haydad, I know you love this week. Good for you. I hate SEC Media Days. Let me get that out of the way quickly. I don't think there's any, anything to be learned from SEC Media Days. But Ole Miss's turn is on Tuesday. What could we learn? Is there anything to learn from Ole Miss on Tuesday? We'll get that answer from Bennett, but first, real quickly, wanted to tell you about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. And I'm not going to take long, but this is a testimonial. My wife's expedition was on its last legs. I was tired of pouring money into a car that I didn't know how much longer it was going to last. So I went over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, called him up first and said, guys, this is what I'm looking for. I'm accepting my lot in life. I am now a van dad. I need a minivan. Brian says, Ben, no problem. We've got the perfect car for you. It was a 2019 Chrysler Pacifica. And I know what you're thinking already. Wait, that probably cost you an arm and a leg. Your monthly payment has to be through the roof. Nope, they fit my budget. I didn't think I could afford that van, but they gave me a good, fair trade-in value for the expedition, and my monthly payment is better than I could have ever imagined as far as fitting into my monthly budget. I show up. It was waiting for me at the door. Mason opens up the door. I look inside, loaded up, leather, Sirius XM radio, Bluetooth, CarPlay, everything I was looking for in a car. I didn't even have to walk around the lot. Didn't have to do anything. And it's not just because they support this podcast. It's not just because they sponsor this podcast that they set that up for me. That's the experience it can be for you. So if you're looking for a seamless car buying process, there's no other place to go. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. And right now they got deals going on. If you're looking for the car, the truck, the Jeep that fits your family, that's exactly what you're looking for. I was looking for a Chrysler Pacifica. I got it. This is the only place to go. So go check them out. It's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. They're at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. You can give them a call at 662-234-8000. Tell them Talk Champion sent you. I think there's potentially some stuff to learn from Matt Corral. I think there's going to be some insight there on his thoughts on the offense, his thoughts as his kind of demeanor as a leader. I think there's some stuff there that is pretty interesting. Outside of that, I'm really not sure. I I think we're going to hear a lot of the the typical offseason tropes, and there's nothing right or wrong about it. You have to say something for media days. You're not going to give away state secrets. But I I think Corral probably is going to be the one that really could be newsworthy and and get some information out of. But um, outside of that, I I think it'll be a whole lot of – Matt Luke selling his vision and you know, kind of getting in, getting comfortable in that in that spotlight, and just other than that, not a whole lot. Former Ole Miss wide receiver Shea Hodge coming up in just a minute, but before we get to that, Ole Miss released its two deep depth chart heading into fall camp. I think it was a couple days ago. I don't know, but wide receivers Braylon Sanders, Elijah Moore, Miles Battle, the offensive line, right tackle Alex Givens, right guard Ben Brown, center Eli Johnson, left guard Royce Newman, left tackle Bryce Matthews, tight end Octavius Cooley. Quarterback Matt Corral, running back Scotty Phillips, and Isaiah Willard. Anything about that stick out to you for me? Bryce Matthews at left tackle, there's no way that sticks. I think the offensive line has to be the kind of newsworthy or noteworthy thing there just because I think you have Alex Gibbons, who you know that uh, you can plug in in multiple spots and and be pretty comfortable with him. Um, But there's just not a lot of experience there, and it's a lot of trying to figure out who fits where and figure out those puzzle pieces. And it's also not a group with a ton of experience and a ton of experience depth. So you have puzzle pieces to fill in, and then you also need those puzzle pieces to stay healthy. And and so I think um, the the focus is going to be on Corral and and Scotty Phillips and um, Jerry and Ely, 
But the really the priority has to be the offensive line because if they can't stay healthy or if they can't find the right guys for the right spots, you know the best offensive coordinator in the world is not going to be able to, to make a competent offense out of it. So uh, I, I think um, all the all the focus has to be on the offensive line and, and making that work. One of two things is going to happen: Alex Givens and Bryce Matthews are going to flip flop, and Alex Givens will handle left tackle. Or Jalen Cunningham steps up and becomes the left guard and Royce Newman slides to left tackle. Bryce Matthews is the real question mark right now. I don't think there's a lot of concern about Eli Johnson, Ben Brown, Alex Givens, and Royce Newman's going to play. It's his time. He's ready to play. But after that, if you look behind them right now, they're not factoring in any of the newcomers coming in. We don't know who can help them. Maybe Nick Broker can help them. Hamilton Hall at right tackle, Chandler Tewitt at right guard, Samuel Plash, I don't know who that is, at center, Jalen Cunningham at left guard, he can play, and Michael Howard at left tackle, all 260 pounds of him. That's mm-hmm. scary. Yeah, well, and it's also, you said there's not a whole lot of worry about Ben Brown and, and Eli Johnson, but I think there has to be some worry on Johnson and, and Alex Gibbons just from a health standpoint. Like those, are, those are guys that have had injuries in That's the past. Fair. That's fair. Um, so like we know Ben Brown's really good. I'm not worried about him at all. Uh, I think Eli Johnson can can more. They, they seem pretty confident for a while that he can be a really good quality center in the SEC. But he's also had some injury issues um, the last season or so. And then I, I, Givens obviously had his injury stuff last year as well. That's problematic. So you want to count on Givens, and from a certainly from a talent standpoint, he's the the linchpin of the line. But there's just not a lot of depth there, as you said, and it just gets real um, real squirrely real quick. So that's. I don't know. That's not an enviable position for to be in if you're Jack McNeil, but um, at least they, they brought in some bodies and maybe one of those guys, the freshmen, kind of step up and surprise and can turn into a contributor early. Defensively, a defensive end, Josiah Cotney or Austrian Robinson, nose tackle Benito Jones or Quentin Bivens. Defensive end, T. Tisdale or Ryder Anderson. Outside linebackers, Kadir Shepard and Sam Williams. Inside linebacker, Muhammad Sonogo and Willie Hibbler, cornerbacks Jalen Jones or Keydron Smith, um, and Miles Hartsfield with Ja'Cory Hawkins backing him up, or Jalen Jordan, and safeties. John Haynes, strong safety, who is my breakout candidate. People think I have a jinx going. I wouldn't argue with that, but I would say John Haynes. <laughs> and free safety, Jalen Julius. Anything about that stick out for you? Um, I'm interested to see how the line shapes up. Obviously, they have a lot of bodies there, and it's going to be interesting to see how those guys all fit into the system and who kind of takes a step up. But I think if you look at it from a depth chart standpoint, there's certainly a, some more athleticism that we've seen in, in recent years. And um, I, I don't know that anything really stands out just as much as I want to see them get on the field and how it looks. I want to see what Mike McIntyre does differently how he deploys some of those guys and how they adjust and how they look. So I don't know from a depth chart standpoint that anything really jumps out at me. No, it jumps out at me. It looks better. The depth chart for defense looks better than the offense. And that is a first in many, many years. I haven't said that about the defense in a long time. Now, I don't know if that's going to translate to better play productivity, but on paper. Yeah, it certainly looks less barren. You can kind of talk yourself into – um, liking the guys on the line and liking the potential from an athleticism standpoint of some of the linebackers in that three four and um, they've got some names in the in the in the back four and, and some some couple JUCO guys that need to step out and, and do some stuff. So yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you there. Um, it's it's a big jump to say that the defense is going to be better than the offense. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I, I think there's certainly a case to be made that um, this defense can really take a step forward from bottom of the barrel to something closer to the middle of the pack. And I think that would be 
um, take so much pressure off the offense as they trot in so many new faces and so many key positions. It further confirms that I don't know why I feel so confident about six wins. I have no clue. I think you can talk yourself into feeling confident about six. I think you can talk yourself into wondering how they're going to get to six. I think it just depends on the day, really. Um, but I, I think so much of that is schedule-related. Like, I think they are, Arkansas is a winnable game. You have the non-conference game. I think you feel pretty good about all of them except for Memphis, and we'll see what Cal looks like. And it, It's just from a schedule standpoint, you can pretty easily talk yourself into six, but when you go to the depth chart and, and you kind of say, well, got to do this, this has to hit, um, it definitely can, can put a little doubt in your mind. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bennett Hip at Bennett Hip. Former Ole Miss wide receiver Shea Hodge coming up in just a second on the Modern Woodman phone line. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We should be there. If we're not, hit me up on Twitter at Spirit Ben. Just search Talk of Champions in those platforms. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. Going now to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to former Ole Miss wide receiver Shea Hodge. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your modern Woodman representative. It wasn't so long ago, I'm talking a couple of months, where financially I needed some help. Not that I was struggling, but getting my finances in order, organizing my money so that I'm in the best position for retirement, preparing for college for my kids, and everything else. I'm sure most every one of you can relate. And that's why you should do like me and contact Thomas Chandler today. He's your local modern Woodman representative, and he'll get you right for retirement or savings or whatever you need. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. What does Modern Woodman do, though, you might ask? Financial security for you and your family through life insurance, financial planning, and financial services. Quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities. And community impact through volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. It's time to get rid of your financial burden. Contact Thomas Chandler, 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Or you can check him out at www.modernwoodman.org. www.modernwoodman.org. That's Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. Going now to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to former Ole Miss wide receiver Shay Hodge. Shay, I don't know if you've been on this podcast. If you have, it's been a while. How you been, man? You all right? Man, I've been great, man. I cannot complain at all. What are you up to these days for Ole Miss fans out there wanting to check in? Uh, I'm currently the head coach at Hillcrest Christian School, and I also uh, work at D1 Jackson in uh, Madison, Mississippi. How far have you come as a coach? How did you get to this point to be a head coach? Because that was always the end game for you. <laughs> right. Um, man, I just say doing the, doing the work, man. Um, putting, the, putting the groundwork in. Um, started out volunteering in my high school. Um, bounced around, did a couple jobs in between, got into the on the seven oh seven scene, um, you know, coaching a lot of the high caliber athletes, one that they did does and the all American stuff. Um, seeing seeing and developing them and coaches paying attention to that. Um, and just, you know, just making my name hot out here, man, trying to do a lot of a lot of work, man, you know, it paid off. People seeing what I was doing. I interviewed for a couple of jobs, you know, people saying they just see my work on social media and how I'm able to reach kids and how I'm able to develop them. And um, it just started snowballing for me, man, and made me to where I'm at now. You were more of a silent assassin at Ole Miss as a player. You didn't say too much, at least publicly. Privately, everybody knew that you were as competitive as anyone else and you would talk as much noise as anyone else. So what is the coach like? Do you got like a file cabinet full of like inspirational speeches or what, what do you like out there? 
me thinking back on what you said, I was telling on Ladarius Webb, who played for the Ravens. <clears throat> I said that. I was like, man, as much as I talk and um, it's how confident I am in myself and it come out cocky, I was like, at Ole Miss, people don't really know that. Not that I'm cocky, but that I like the high belief I have in myself. And I'm talking a lot of Noah, you know. I kind of toned that down publicly, but um, my teammates knew. <laughs> the people I played against knew. But um, as a coach, um, yeah, I have a lot of inspirational um, quotes and um, things and stuff that I've learned from my coaches or something I've read or something that um, someone's told me before, you know, and just use that in my arsenal of things to get guys going, um, to make them think, to make them um, be better young men, you know, just being cognizant and aware of things, you know, as a coach. I mean, as a player. Um, so, yeah, I have a different array of things that I try to use to uh, relate to the guys to get through to them. Kentrell Lockett helped me found this podcast a long time ago, and he's told a lot of Shea Hodge stories. And I was surprised by him because he said in practice that defense full of personalities like him and Marche, you name it, a number of guys out there that had no problem yapping, y'all were full of that on offense as well. I mean, Bradley Sal and Kentrell talk crap to each other, but he said you you and Marche would go at it. Oh yeah, man. We we had a lot of battles, man. That, <clears throat> from the video game to out there on the field, from us both playing receiver at first. Um, both of us wanted to start as freshmen and start at sophomores, um, and then taking it over to the video game, man. That guy's super competitive, and I appreciate um, his gestures, man, because I love to be around competitive people. If you're not competitive, you probably won't like me as a person, because I don't know how to turn it off most of the time. So. Um, that's a big shout-out to Marche, man. We really used to get it in. And, um, I, I mean, yeah, I hope you hear this podcast. I used to burn them up at practice. <laughs> now, Kentrell did tell the story after your freshman year. You were told in recruiting that you could come in and get number three, and they put number 80 on you, and you were not happy, and you threatened to leave if you didn't get number three. <laughs> that's a true story, Kentrell. I hear telling all the dudes, man. <laughs> But, yeah, um, yeah. when I was recruited, I thought I was getting number three, that they were double numbers. Um, Tremaine McBride had it. And I, um, um, they convinced me my freshman year that, okay, you may not get it. I mean, you won't get it this year, but we'll make sure that you get it the next year. And I was like, okay, cool. So the spring came, and I look at my locker. Everybody getting their number ten. I look at my locker, and I had number 80 still in there, and I see a Marche locker, number eight and number three. So I'm like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you know, so I went to coach and asked somebody, and he kind of like shrugged it off at first. And so I'm not going to lie. I actually left practice that day. I didn't practice that day. It was like the first day of practice. I didn't practice. And uh, Coach O called me. I, I, contrary to what y'all think of him, like, he, he actually loved, he liked me a whole lot, to be honest with you, Coach. He just asked me what the problem was, and I just told him, like, I didn't think it was fair that Marche get a chance at the number before me. I had more yards. He had, I think, two touchdowns. I had none, but, you know, I thought it was about yardage and stuff. But anyway, I was just promised that in recruiting, and Coach uh, O told me, he was like, get, be here at practice tomorrow, and I don't want to hear nothing else about it. You'll have number three. Bye. You know, and uh, it just went from there, man. So, yeah, that, that was a true story. Oh, my God, I love that so much. Because Forty and I had this long discussion about numbers, and I've always argued that they're not that all that big of a deal. But for players, it's an identity thing. I think it's more of a fifty-fifty thing. Like some, a lot of players, I don't say a lot. I think it's half and half that think like this. But me personally, I was a numbers guy. Like I've had number three since I was probably three years old, and I ever first touched the ball uh, from TV basketball. So 
I've always identified with number three, and that was my identity. So I felt like when I take it off, I wasn't Superman no more. Like, and it's it, it's a psychological thing, you know. Um, some people are gonna say, "Oh, it, it means nothing." You a CC, you know, or whatever. Um, you know, hard nosed guys like to say, or who have a different opinion. But me personally, I feel like that's a big thing. Like, if you used to wear a number, like you gonna want your number. Like forty was that way. Forty wanted number forty. Yeah. And that was a big thing for him. You know, coming to his own early. Because I promise, my freshman year, I feel like if I had number three, I would have done more. <laughs> it's personal what I think. Um, I always felt like that. Like, whenever I didn't have number three in high school, because we had a senior that had it, actually was only two grades ahead of me. So I didn't wear number three my first two years in high school. And it devastated me. I was, like, really mad. But once I got number three, you know, it just it's like a light bulb change for me personally. But, I mean, I don't know. All guys are like that. I just know a few, you know, um, that it matters what number you have. So if I could give you Shea Hodge, Laquan Treadwell, or A.J. Brown, one of those three guys, I'll throw Dante Moncrief in there too. One of those four guys has to make a game-winning catch with the final seconds ticking off the clock. Who's making the catch? Man, come on, man. You know I'm saying me all day. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You've, seen a, you've seen a Florida catch. You've seen the Alabama catch. You've put it on in the clutch. So I'm, I'm putting my money on me all day, every day. All right, who's number two after you? Man, that's tough. I would have to – between A.J. and Laquan, I, it's tough. That's super tough. I would probably have to go with A.J., man. I just see something in him. Well, the biggest thing he had going for him is running out the kitchen and, and how mature he is at his age, man. He understands hard work, and he just has a knack for making big plays, especially his rack. He run out the kitchen. He's off the charts, man, and that's what separates him from all, all four of us. Um, especially in college-wise, he's run out of the catch, man. He's hard to take down, and he knows how to break angles and, and like, make spectacular moves at the right moment, and he doesn't really look like he's moved. If you could give him one piece of advice going into the NFL, what would that be? Take care of your body. Take care of your body um, is number one. Um, number two is just um, soak it all in from your bit, from the coaches, man, um, just learning and learning from other people. It's going to be vital for him um, and just – learning how to take on the adversity that's going to happen because no matter what you do, from coaching to playing, so let's use teaching school, no matter what you do, it's going to be um, a learning curve to it. You know, uh, we played in the best conference that can um, catapult you to the NFL, but at the end of the day, you're still not the NFL in the SEC. So just learning from your mistakes and, and learning from older guys so you don't have to make those mistakes is one of the biggest um, things that can help them also. I don't want to make you feel like a dinosaur here, Shay, but it's been a while now since you've been at Ole Miss. So when those kids come up, be it your players or they come to your camp, and they want to know about your playing career because they haven't seen it, it's been that long, what's the first catch you talk about? Uh, it's it definitely going to be the Florida catch because uh, everybody remembers T-Bow. Whether, no matter how old they get, he just like the golden boy with it all, man. And, uh, I always talk about the catch that beat them and uh, – inspired the speech that he made and then from there you know I go to a lot of my spectacular catches like Mississippi State the Alabama catch that um, got called back I love the Memphis catch honestly when I jumped over the guy and threw him down to the ground and then I ran the rest of them you know I talk about that catch so but the real thing that I do I actually direct them to YouTube to watch it themselves I was like you know watch it yourself check it out what I do when you look at the Florida catch that came at such an important point of the game but the Alabama catch is the one that everyone thinks about because of what happened afterwards. Were you out of bounds? 
We'll get that answer from former Ole Miss wide receiver Shea Hodge, but first, a quick word from Modern Woodman. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. I was out of bounds, but the kicker to it is um, he forced me out. Like you literally can sit there and watch that play over and over. And you can see that he forced me out of bounds and I came back in to make the catch. And he actually grabbed the ball first. So, you know, it's all kind of weird how they got called back and looking at plays now and seeing how they stand. And, like, you know, that could have been my first, what you want to say, that could have been my first uh, Shea Hodge moment. And I was waiting on it because I made so many plays in high school because I was so mad and having to prove everything to everybody about how good I was because I didn't get the rank and I felt like I'd gone um, in high school. And so I just played angry, man. And I was so ready to make a moment for myself where I made a big play. And I felt like that was it. And it didn't happen the way I – um it actually got taken away from me. So I was like, man, I got to wait even longer. When the shoes and the beard stuff started flying down, what was that like on the field? We didn't get to see much of it. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, we did. I think having more or less, I feel like this. I didn't see much of it because I was out of it. You know, uh, once they got called back, you know, I kind of had my eyes closed. Uh, I'm very emotional when it comes to this team. So I was probably crying, man, like, man, how they take this from me? So I didn't get to see it all, but I heard about it. And, you know, it was, it was um, what you want to say? It was um, fulfilling to see how the fans had our back and how they cared about the game so much and cared about us winning. So um, that was a big thing for us, even though it didn't look good. But in the, the day, it's like uh, your dad taking up for you when somebody else do something to you or your mom, you know, your parents taking up for you. You know, that's why I equate that to. Tell me a Greg Hardy story. <laughs> Let me see, man. Greg did some wild stuff, man. Okay, as a freshman, he came in, and we all were talking to each other one day and telling each other, like, hey, um, Oh, we was like, what position you play? And blah, 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 blah. So Greg says, yeah, man, I play uh, DN and wide receiver. We were like, what? That don't even go together. They're like, you're going to play one position in college, not two. He was like, watch. But he done it. So the second thing, so after he done that, we started respecting him. Like anything he said, even though he would, he would do crazy little things. Like, for example, he would <laughs> Greg was probably like a size 14 shoe, maybe a size 15. The man came in the, I don't know if it was training camp two days or when it was, maybe it was the beginning of school. He came to school in some size 19 Air Force One, all white. So they looked like subway buns. <laughs> it was so long. <laughs> and it was just clack, 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 clack. And like, we were laughing for weeks about this, man. And, you know, it was just crazy, man. Greg used to do some wild stuff, man, but. 
one thing I can say, that dude was a baller, man. Everything he said he could do, he done it. Who won in the fight, Kentrell or Greg? I actually didn't see that fight. I seen a fight between Greg and maybe Baby J. Oh, I heard Baby J got him pretty good. I, I think they said it was a tie. Honestly, oh, okay. like Greg crazy, man. He gets buck wild. But I don't know if I, re- I, I don't remember it vividly, but I just kind of hear, heard about it or whatever. Um, Greg got to fight with some old people. Um, well, yeah, that's kind of yeah, kind of expected if you look at his career trajectory now, Shay. <laughs> yeah, he kind of, but I think he was more like misunderstood, man. He was he a great guy, in my opinion. Um, he just misunderstood, man. He just got he just had he just like a different guy. Like you know, you meet people, many teams I've been on now, and guys I've coached or or been a part of, like going from the CFL to the NFL to the AFL. You know, you get cats, man, they be from different places. They think different and act different. So, you know, um, that's why I equate it to. You just misunderstood because some things culturally that other people do, you look at it as weird, and they look at it as normal. Like, hey, man, that's what we do where I'm from. Greg, I don't know, <laughs> you know, if that's why. But um, he, does have, he did have some weird ways at a certain point in his life. What's your relationship to Ole Miss now? Um, I pay attention to him. I always gonna pay attention to him. Ole Miss is my school. That's where I went to school. I was always with Ole Miss, Hotty Tidy to the end, to the death of me. Um, with the coaches, I have a great relationship. Coach Lou, Coach uh, Nicks, um, Coach Taylor. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to establishing a great relationship with uh, Rich Rod, um, with the new coordinator, you know, because um, at the end of the day, you know, I do want kids to go there, um, not to push them there, but, you know, the opportunity, I want to get them up there so they can see it, you know, and they make their own decisions. And um, going to games, finally, I'm a head coach, and I and I got freedom to go and go to games on Saturday and set my own schedule to where we have um, practice. Um, because my last coaching um, staff we had, we used to practice on Saturday mornings. Oh, my God, they used to kill my soul. I want to watch college football so bad. So, um, you know, finally it's going to shape up to where I can make it up to the home games and uh, actually being able to go to any games now, you know, on the place God has me in right now. There's a new crop of wide receivers coming in. A.J. Brown, D.K., they're gone. Miles Battle, Elijah Moore, who has a little bit of a track record, does Braylon Sanders as well. What's your advice to those guys as they're stepping into starting roles, how they can make their impact? What do they have to do to take their game to that next level that they need to take it to in order for Ole Miss offensively to be pretty good? The main thing with anything, man, <clears throat> there's always the details of anything. I don't care what you do. You're doing this podcast, me training receivers, me being a head coach, uh, just going off a thing like uh, Mike Estee running his building, general manager, does details to anything, details, details, details. So my thing to say to those receivers is, Make sure you pay attention to the fine details. Um, anything that you're learning, like overly do it. Your habits are going to create what you do as far as a player. So if you practice bad habits, you're going to do have bad habits in the game. You're not going to fix them on game day. Um, listening to your coaches, you know, um, watching a bunch of film, especially the film that they tell you to watch, but if you want to be a great player, you want to watch a lot of film on your own, on your, on your opponent, especially teams that play man-to-man knowing how to beat him, how does he open up, which hand does he jam with when he jam, um, how many steps is it taking me to get in and out of my break, you know, all those little fine details and knowing the playbook. Number one is knowing the playbook, front and backwards. For all those receivers that started, one thing that I was able to set, a, set those records, one of the reasons why I was able to set that record, I knew what every receiver had on every play. 
so I could get moved around wherever they needed me to be, um, making yourself accessible, uh, make yourself versatile, that's the word, make yourself versatile. Um, and, you know, just become a friend with your quarterback, too. That's the last thing. Probably maybe should be the first thing, becoming close with your quarterback. Not as in sucking up to him, but actually um, building a camaraderie with him where he's going to know who you're going to be. He's going to he know how you run your routes, um, how you're going to break, how you're going to do everything that you do because um, that was one of the biggest things me and Jevin had. He knew I was going to be, how I was going to break my route off, a big step, or, or if I'm running a goal ball and I don't have a beat, um, by a couple of steps, him throwing it back shoulder or throwing it where I can jump over his head and catch it, you know. All those things are essential for a receiver to be dominant, um, to be, and especially early on for the old receiver, man, building that camaraderie with whoever beats the quarterback. What's man. the summer like for building chemistry between wide receivers and quarterbacks? How do you go about doing that, and what's the work like? Oh, the work is tremendous, man. Uh, summer, like I tell people, summer is the hardest thing to do, for sure, man. Uh, all the running by, I mean, running with the strength coach, two-hour practices, and then having to do it by yourself with the on seven on seven. Because coaches really can't be out there, so you're out there by yourself with the with the quarterback, man. And you're building. That's when you're building it. You really on your own. So whatever routes you want to run, you know, you guys are running them. Just you and the quarterback, basically. And you know, you get as much work you want to get, or you get the least amount of work you want to get. So um, that's, that's why I say summer is huge, man. We took advantage of it when I was there, but not like you should have or so. Um, because, you know, at that time, my brain wasn't all into work, 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 work like it is now. And how I train my receiver now, any guy that I um, train or coach now, that's all I teach is work. But um, just talking to all the guys, man, will help them a lot and them knowing, hey, you know, this is what I got to do to be successful. You got to put the time in. You got to put the work in. Do you like Matt Corral? Yeah, I, I love Matt Corral, man. I think he's going to do great. Um, but I have a relationship with some other quarterbacks that's there. Um, you know, they're playing Ole Miss, um, like John Rice and um, Kincaid Dent. You know, two of those guys. I coached a little bit in 707. So uh, I got a relationship with all of them, man. So I want to see them all do good. It looks like Matt going to be the guy. Just met him at, met him at uh, MPA, Man of Passing Academy. I walked up to him like, "Hey, what's up, man?" He was like, and I was like, "I'm saying, oh, I know that name." He said, "You know, that was <laughs> that was a nice little gesture there, man. Us knowing each other, uh, common respect for each other, man. And uh, I'm just hoping that he does good, man. For you know, just for our program to keep going, to you know, to get back on track to where we were when I was there, and you know, here recently um, before Freeza. Give me the quick scouting report before we get out of here on Kincaid Dent and John Reese Plumley. I'll start with um, John Rice, um, man, the guy's athletic. <laughs> the guy is fast, man. I think they caught him at like 4-3, man, and he's a leader. I didn't actually get to go through a game with him. Um, and then 7-on-7, that time he got counseled when he was going to, I could just tell he was a leader, man. He was getting the guys up. He was getting them in the huddle. He was calling the plays. He was stern. Um, I know he can run. He has a nice arm, you know. So I could see him fitting that offense from knowing – Rich Rod's offense for me watching it, you know, he West Virginia and um, Arizona, you know, watching that and Don Reed and stuff he likes to run, you know. So I look at it like him, he can really fit. Kincaid Daniel is the same thing. He's not as fast, but he's a lot taller. He can see over the pocket, you know, nice strong arm, man. He comes downhill with it, nice footwork. And he also can run too. He's not like a sitting duck in the pocket, man. I feel like both of those guys line up to what, um, 
the type of offense that Rich Rod wants to run so I can see why he feels guys will recruit it. He's former Ole Miss wide receiver Shea Hodge. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you. Come back on soon, okay? All right, man. Thanks for having me. That was former Ole Miss wide receiver Shea Hodge. This is Talk of Champions brought to you by BNA Bank. I don't know about you, but I want my banking made simple. And I certainly want to trust the people who've got my money. Well, if you're like me, BNA Bank is where you need to go. Maybe you're a student just starting out. You don't know much about personal banking or business banking, loan services. Well, I tell you who does. BNA Bank, be it Mike Staten, Bo Collins, Vance Witt, my buddy Bob Spencer. These are friends of the podcast. Ole Miss fans, sure, but more importantly, they care about you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to make sure that your banking experience is done flawlessly, comfortably, and with trust and respect. With a five-star rating from Bauer Financial and an excellent rating from Weiss Ratings, BNA Bank is recognized as one of the strongest financial institutions in the country. But where can you find them? How about bnabank.com? Or give them a call, 662-534-8171, 662-534-8171. BNA's main office and two branch offices are located in New Albany, my hometown, with another branch located in Myrtle, two branches in Tupelo and Lee County, Mississippi, and one loan production office in Oxford. Where you put your money matters. And the only place to put your money, the only place that Ben Garrett puts his money is BNA Bank. So check them out, bnabank.com, 662-534-8171. There's no other place. They've helped me. They'll help you. Tell them Ben Garrett of Talk of Champions sent you. And now, back to Talk of Champions. I was talking before we went to Shea Bennett about Ole Miss winning six games. Well, ESPN's FPI matchup predictor put out its predictions for Ole Miss at schedule. It's got Ole Miss winning six games. Memphis, Arkansas, Selah, Cal, Vanderbilt, NMSU. Memphis, they got them as a 51.4% chance of winning the game. Arkansas, 73.4. It's pretty rich. Selah, 98.7. Cal, 73%. Alabama, 4.9. What are your thoughts about 6-6, six and 2-6? Six, and six? Your thoughts on ESPN's FBI predictor. Well, I think the Memphis game is pretty spot on. That feels like a 50-50 toss-up to me, so... Um, I can see it having, I can see it being an old Miss's favor like it is, barely 51.4. I can see it the other way as well. Uh, I think that's very much a toss up game. I'm a little surprised that Arkansas is that high. I'm a little surprised that Cal is that high, given just the amount of unknowns from Ole Miss's side, not in, not just in terms of personnel, but uh, in terms of scheme and, and coaching with two new coordinators. So I think that, but that's the roadmap. And that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's winning. At Memphis, it's winning Arkansas. And then once you do that, I think you're kind of off to the races in terms of getting to six. But I think the worrisome thing there is you look at the numbers and let's just say that Memphis goes the other way because they have it as a toss up. So what if it if it tosses the other way, you, you got to add a game somewhere. And that's where it becomes problematic because you look at the other games on the schedule, all of Ole Miss's losses. They got a five percent chance of, of winning at Alabama. 25% chance at Missouri, 29% against Texas A&M, 18.4 against Auburn on the road, 17.3 against LSU, and then 25 against State. You can always pull an upset and maybe things change for a team like Auburn or a team like Missouri if their bowl band sticks. But right now, if one of those games goes against you early, I think the worry if you look at the FPI is you got to spring a massive upset um, using their formula at least to get back to on track to six wins. So I think that's what really stands out to me the most is they, they've got the track for six, but if you miss one early, there's not an easy place to make it up. 
What's the most surprising percentage for you? Vanderbilt and Arkansas are both at home for Ole Miss, and yet Ole Miss has a better percentage chance, according to ESPN's FBI predictor, of beating Arkansas at 73.4% than beating Vanderbilt at 64.5%. I don't know much about Vanderbilt, but that still sticks out to me. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I was surprised the Missouri number was as low as it is. Uh, I know it's on the road. They um, do not like Ole Miss as a road team at all. Whatever, that's totally totally understandable. I'm a little surprised by Missouri just because I don't really know what to think of them. I know they've got a bunch of talent, but I'm not the biggest Kelly Bryant person in the world. He's He played my neck of the woods at Clemson, and I was never really blown away with him as a quarterback. I mean, there was a reason that Trevor Lawrence came in and immediately beat him out. Um, as the first couple weeks of the season went on. Um, and that's no shame getting beat out for, for by someone as good as he is. But I, I'm just not sure he's going to just step in uh, for Drew Locke and be the seamless replacement or improvement that some seems to be. So that, that 25% chance seems a little low to me. Um, and then I'm a little surprised at the Auburn number just because they've got some uncertainty at quarterback. They've got some – and th- this isn't factored into the number, obviously, but – Gus is on the hot seat as well, and their their early season schedule is is pretty tough. So they could kind of be of a, a dumpster fire of sorts by the time Ole Miss goes to the Plains in November. So those two probably stand out the most to me. Um, but you're right, that Vanderbilt number is, is a little weird as well. When you look at all those road games, no good percentage for the road for Ole Miss to go out and win. Which one is an indicative of a win that Ole Miss could ultimately get? On the road, I mean, I think it kind of has to be Auburn. I mean, they played Auburn pretty well lately. Um, and then maybe the Egg Bowl, um, just because we'll see what the transfer quarterback looks like for them, if he's going to be the guy, if, if it's Tommy Stevens, and see what he looks like under Joe Moorhead. But I think that's a winnable game. And then I think I think Auburn. Um, but then, I, you know, I, I just um, – it, it's so hard to tell just because there's so many uncertainties in this league. Um, but I think it's all the teams with quarterback, new quarterbacks, that you just kind of wonder – um, at that point in the season, when Ole Miss heads there, how they look. I don't know much about Mississippi State either. What is that team out there that maybe could get some preseason hype that could fall back? Well, I mean, for Mississippi State, I think they're clearly going to take a step back. I mean, you don't lose what you lose on that defense from last year, which was, um, by most accounts, if not the the best defense in the country, one of the top three. Um, you don't lose that and and take a step forward. So I think they take a step back, but obviously um, they can improve at quarterback. Nick Fitzgerald, while he had his strengths in terms of running the football, um, was not a very good passer, obviously. And um, whether it's Thompson or the transfer, improvement there could really change things for them. But uh, if we're talking a team that kind of get, getting a lot of hype and could fall back, I, I think you look at Texas A&M, I think you look at Missouri. Um, if Kelly Bryant's not good or if that bull band sticks and just from a momentum standpoint or attitude standpoint, they check out, that could really go south pretty quickly. And then A&M, uh, I think they're going to be good. Uh, I think Jimbo is a hell of a football coach, but the schedule is pretty brutal. And and so I think it just depends on what their expectations are. If they're thinking eight, nine wins or if they're thinking we're going to contend for the West, I think expectations really play a big point there. Is there a chance that Missouri bull bed doesn't stick? I, I mean, the I don't. I really don't know. I, I know from my perspective, just reading what it what all it was, it seems pretty ticky tack um, in the first place to to have them uh, getting a bull band in the first place. But the odds of that getting overturned, I can't imagine they're very good, um, as Ole Miss knows well. But I, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think it's really 
haven't been talked about a lot. I don't know. I think that's a really big thing for them because obviously if they do get it overturned, they've got some talent there. And if Kelly Bryant plays well, that's a team that can win eight, nine football games. But I, I just don't know. Um, Ole Miss handled the bowl ban so well from a team and attitude standpoint. Um, but I, I wonder how someone else does. You know, I, I think that obviously varies team to team. Brian Baldinger of NFL Network put out a video, a breakdown of Laramie Tunsil. Since we're talking about bowl bans and NCAA crap and Greg Sankey's utter incompetence in Ole Miss's NCAA investigative case, about how Laramie Tunsil is the best young left tackle in the game, in the NFL right now, no surprise to any of us. Yeah, totally shocking that Laramie Tunsil turned out to be a really good football player. Um, Really, really surprising stuff. It was Um, funny to me, though, that Godfrey put on in response to this, well worth the couple nights sleeping on a coach's couch. <laughs> yes, exactly. Loner car, of course it's worth it. Well worth that and and the scholarship for Alex Weber and whatever. Uh, well worth it. That dude is um th- that dude is a was a first round NFL talent by the moment he stepped on campus. Um generational left tackle at the college level and uh no real surprise that he's kind of found his footing in the NFL. Um, but I do think if you're the Giants, you kind of have to be kicking yourself, um, not pulling the trigger on him. And Yeah, you've and already really traded anybody, Eli Apple. Good job. Yeah, and really anybody in that draft. We go back to that day, it seemed like if he got to Baltimore, Baltimore was going to pull the trigger there. They go with Stanley, the kid from Notre Dame, who's been good but not as good as Laramie. Um, so I just think obviously so much of that is skewed by – this happens spur of the moment and you're reacting on the clock live. And it's just, it's obviously a bigger deal in the moment than it is now looking back. But um, for a league that values football performance over anything else, almost from a character standpoint, um, looking back on it, it, it does seem odd that, that he fell like he did because of that. Um, but the dolphins took the chance and uh, it, it, they're getting rewarded for it big time by having, one of the best left tackles in the game and, and getting him um, kind of in the middle of the first round. That just doesn't happen. Um, so no, it good does, for it's them. It's just absurd that he fell. It, one of the most egregiously bad and absolutely ugly and terrible things to happen to a player entering the draft, probably ever. It, I was sitting in that room when it went down. I had just celebrated the Cowboys taking Zeke. They couldn't have taken Laramie. They already had Tyron Smith at left tackle. There was no place for the Cowboys to put Laramie. So, obviously, they were going to take Zeke. And they take Zeke, and I'm celebrating, I'm pumped. And then when I sit down, maybe 10 minutes later, I'm sitting between Neil McCready and Hugh Kellenberger. And maybe 10 minutes later, after I've celebrated this, that video pops out. Yeah. And the entire complexion of what we were there to do, and that's cover a historic night for Ole Miss football, was turned upside down. When I'm I'm old and gray, when I'm 60 – sitting on my ass in retirement, and someone asked me about my time covering Ole Miss athletics, the first thing I'm going to bring up is draft night. It was a surreal experience. It was this out-of-body experience that could only happen to Ole Miss. We'll get right back to Bennett, but first, real quickly, let me tell you about Cheney's Pharmacy. 
For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Cheney's Pharmacy. Chinese Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Kind of looking big picture at it, um, I think if you're wanting another good takeaway for Laramie is we all kind of forget, yeah, yeah, he dropped however many picks, but there's also a drop in money from that standpoint. He lost so much money. And that's the good thing about this for him is that, you know, looking at, I'm looking at Forbes right now, they estimate it, it cost him roughly $8 million on his rookie deal. Um but obviously, turning into this good of a player, he's going to be able to make that money back, which is really great. Obviously, you don't get it back in the first place. But um, the fact that he's going to be able to get a big second contract, um, as it looks now, is really good for him and obviously really great. But um, we do forget you're going into the biggest area of your life. You're going to make this amount of money, and then you fall eight spots, and you lose $8 million in the matter of minutes. And I just can't imagine that feeling uh, what it must have been like. So for him to get past all that, get back to playing football and being as good as he is um, and eventually make that money back um, has to be really rewarding for him. It's always good to see. That's my biggest beef because I can just hear it right now. Well, if you don't cheat, yeah, it does happen. Well, how much is too much for you? How much is too much? $16,000 total in inducements in both of those NOAs. Only a little bit of that tied to Laramie Tunsil as far as monetary value. And I Ole s- Miss was punished with $8 million lost from bowl revenue. Laramie Tunsil lost $8 million in the NFL draft over $16,000 in inducements. How much yeah, is enough? I just, uh, the whole like, if you just don't cheat in the first place, well, yeah, okay, that I mean, that's great, but I mean, we're at the big boy table here. Yeah, we we, is, we realize that dumb. we realize that whether you're school X or program Y, whether you're in conference W, everyone, this is big boy football and no one is following the, the letter of the law to the to the full extent. Everyone's cutting corners and doing this and doing that. That's just how it works. So I've never really understood the oh well if you don't cheat well I mean everyone is you know it's I've, I've obviously- never seen a fan base like Mississippi State's other than Michigan's believe that they're doing it right and everybody else is doing it wrong there is the, no the, wrong here this isn't breaking the, the law it's not the the, the Michigan uh, the, I think the Michigan one might be my favorite oh they I, I are just, my favorite Michigan Michigan's they have it, no, they have these rosy glasses on about what Michigan is and what it does they love just the sanctity to, of Michigan. As if Everybody that's just a thing. wants to be a Michigan man. What does Every, that even mean? I don't know. I couldn't tell you if you if you maybe define it. I, I couldn't it's even like begin to do it. It's like St. Louis Cardinals fans in the Cardinal way. Yeah. What are you talking about? What is that? Can you define it? Can you quantify it? No, you I, can't. 
I think the holier than thou stuff is just for a sport like college football um, or, or just college athletics in general. Like, I think if anything that the past, I don't know, 12 months from the college basketball investigation with the FBI has shown is that no one should be beating your chest about how we do it the right way, unless you're John Bowline or whatever in Michigan. And he left. He left the game because he was tired of recruiting the right way and and couldn't uh, couldn't do it anymore. But I think – I think if that, if that trial and those wiretaps have showed anything, it's that you don't have to be a big school to cheat. I mean, look at the schools that were mentioned on the wiretap, Creighton, Dayton, South Carolina, Clemson, teams that are not um, big-time college basketball blue buds by any means. And if they're doing it, it's just why um, this idea of amateurism in college athletics and everyone just operating by the letter of the law and no one's getting any sort of inducements at any school ever just doesn't exist. And that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with kids getting money to be, um, for their talents. I don't have a problem with that at all, but the chest puffing out about, Hey, we didn't pay this player the blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Like, it's just, it's the whole thing to me. Um, it's so ridiculous at this point. He's Ben at Hip. I'm Ben Garrett at Ben at Hip at Spirit Ben. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes. We're also available in SoundCloud and wherever you get your podcast. I write for the Omen Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. My thanks to Shay Hodge for joining me on the Modern Woodman phone line. Coming up later this week, Andrew Ritter, former Ole Miss punter, kicker, is going to be coming on to talk about that LSU kick and a number of other different things. It's the summertime, and I haven't talked to Andrew in a while. So, Andrew, and that was up. That was one hell of a kick. Yeah, it was. It was. I wrote a whole story about it built around my dad that I gave to him this year for Father's Day. And that was, can you believe this, six years ago. God, man. Yeah. We're all get, we're getting so old. Yeah, yeah. I've never felt more old than I do right now. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk again. Absolutely. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.